Welcome to Paint Ed. PCA provides painting contractors with connections they need to grow their business. To find out more and to become a member, visit PCAPainted.org. Find more great content like this on PCA Overdrive. A subscription to the platform is included with membership. For all of you non-members out there, sign up for a free trial. PCA Overdrive is available on the App Store and Google Play. Well, welcome to the Financial Growth to Success presentation. Uh, my name is Chris Moore. I'm the founder of Elite Business Advisors. Uh, for those of you guys that don't know my background a little bit, I spent 11 years in the painting industry. Uh, I started out with a company called Student Painters when I was in college at age 19. Uh, so I came into this industry in a business-first mindset. Uh, student Painters, for those of you guys that aren't familiar, College Works, College Pro, there's other models out there, um, is all about teaching college students how to run and manage a small business. Uh, and then the vehicle we use for business is exterior house painting, right? Um, and so I definitely came into it from a business mindset first learned the trade and the craftsperson second, right? Um, and so doing what I'm doing now has always been a huge passion of mine. I love helping business owners. We help people in their finances and the marketing side of their business and the day-to-day -day operations to scale their companies. Um, and so I've been in your guys' shoes as painting contractors. I owned my own business for a handful of years before I made the leap and, and started doing this full-time at the beginning of 2020. Uh, and so I understand the challenges you guys go through. I understand um, all the issues, right? I know that finances is like one small piece of your business. Um, and so um, hopefully we can get some good content out to you guys today to kind of help on the financial side. We'll try to tie it into the other areas of business. Uh, that's one thing that I always say a lot of times is we take a 30,000 foot overview when we work with our clients because we know the way that you market your business affects your profitability, affects the way that, you know, how smoothly your jobs go and everything else. So everything definitely ties in together uh, when it comes into your businesses. So um, my journey in the painting industry, like I said, I started as student painters. I always love to share this photo, okay? This was the, the second painting project we ever did. We had to rent a 32-foot ladder, and when we got done, we took the ladder back, and then we did the walkthrough with the customer, because that made a lot of sense, right? Um, and they found a touch-up. And so that was one of my painters. That was definitely not me. Um, just do, I don't even know what he was tied off to. It might have been their air conditioner. I don't know. We were a hot mess. Um, but we made it work, right? We're here, right? And then I started my own company, uh, and, uh, and things kind of progressed along the way. So I've literally been through every journey in here. Again, right, business first, not smart painting craftsmanship. So um, we learned that over time. But, uh, you know, the couple goals I've got of the presentation today is I want you guys to get some tips out of this, how you can better manage your bottom line, how you can better manage your finances, um, we're going to go through and do kind of a workshop. Um, we're going to job cost projects and kind of explain how and why we do that. Uh, we're going to go through and talk a lot about cash flow um, because job costing is great. Knowing your gross profit, knowing your profitability is fantastic. But if your cash flow is kind of a hot mess or if there's no money left over at the end of the month, it doesn't matter that your gross profit's at 60% if you're starving your company throughout the other 60%. Um, and then we're going to talk through the, the, what I want to end this seminar on is what is the number the quantifiable revenue production number you need to do every month to at least break even or make money in your business. Um, and so it's gonna kind of flow through in a workshop style through that. Um, some of you guys might have heard about the Business 360 workshops that we have. And so I basically took a two and a half hour slot and I'm cramming it into 60 minutes here as best as I can. So, um, so I'm gonna kind of jump straight into this here. But the first thing I wanna start about is how do you view your business? 
Um, some of you guys might have heard of uh, Robert Kiyosaki. He wrote a book called The Cash Flow Quadrant. And I think that that applies into the business mindset we have as business owners. In what way do you view your business? Do you view your business from an employee mindset? Um, I know a lot of people, maybe in this room, but in general in the industry, you start out as a painter, and then at some point along the line, you end up being a business owner, right? Whether you went and started your own company, whether you maybe bought into a company, whether you took over a family business, you started out as that employee, right? Um, and as you shift through business, you have to adapt and change your mindset, especially when it comes to the business operation side of things. Um, the second one is somebody that's self-employed. You literally own a job, right? Instead of, you know, it's usually when you strike out on your own and I call you a, a solopreneur, right? Like you own a job instead of having one boss that you couldn't stand, now you've got 100 bosses a year because all of your clients are your bosses in a roundabout way. Um, and then, you know, where we really want to start to focus that, that uh, mindset is, is being on a business owner, owning a system, owning, looking at your business like a business, treating it like a business and not just, hey, I have to go do this job with my one employee to make money. We want you guys to kind of treat it like a business. And so um, I always like to go through that. Investor obviously is a whole different quadrant. We're not going to hit on that. But I always like to go through this because I want you guys to think about where you guys are currently at on this chart. Like, and this is a time, you don't have to raise your hand, you don't have to say anything out loud, but I want you guys to think about this like as a self-reflecting moment of like, where am I really at on this, right? Because a lot of people, I guarantee everybody saw this and you're like, I'm a business owner, right? But I guarantee a few people are probably sitting here going, I'm more in the self-employed side. And that's okay, we just have to shift your thinking a little bit. Uh, and there's gonna be some great talks this week on how to do that. So, um, so I wanna go through some financial fundamentals first because I feel like this is a very um, you know, basic thing that I wanna hit on, right? Sometimes it's hard preparing for these presentations because I know there's people in here of all different size companies. Um, and so I want to kind of hit on like just some basic information for maybe people that are newer, um, newer to business or newer to understanding the financials. Um, and just hit on a couple of things. Um, first off, I got to say, I think a profit and loss statement is great for two reasons. One, it's what you pay your taxes on. Two, it gives you the historical average of your margins. That's it. Um, unfortunately, I see a lot of people look at their profit and loss and that's how they judge their finances. There's no day-to-day -day analyzation. There's no monthly analyzation. It's only, they only look at it from a yearly perspective and I don't think it gives you a good enough accurate data. Um, but for those of you guys that are newer, it's your revenue minus expenses. Um, this is where you'll find all of your expenses that you maybe isn't included in your job costing and we'll kind of workshop that here in just a minute. Um, one thing I always want to hit on with this, if anybody uses QuickBooks, um, I, I love Brandon Vaughn's talk this morning about like the DIY approach, right? Um, if anybody uses QuickBooks for your transactions and you do all your bookkeeping yourself, I highly suggest have somebody at least review it periodically. Um, QuickBooks transactions, when you connect it to your bank and your credit card, it looks very seamless. It looks very simple. You're like, oh, I can just click add. I can click add. And you think QuickBooks is smart enough to know everything. And let me tell you, it's not. All of a sudden, you go have a business lunch and it's like put into like your office or your like job materials or something, right? Um, so don't rely solely on QuickBooks. I say this because we see this a lot with clients. We had a client last year that was keeping their own books and they got an EIDL loan when all the, the government funding was out and they classified their $75,000 EIDL loan as income, paid taxes on it because they didn't understand how it worked, right? Um, and so, and I have their permission to share that. I'm not gonna say who it is, but, um, but that's the type of stuff that we wanna make sure people aren't doing. So at least have somebody review it. It's much easier to pay somebody to do that on a monthly basis for you, or at least have somebody review that quarterly, monthly, whatever it might be, just to make sure if you are doing it yourself, you're keeping track of everything properly. Um, the balance sheet, 
This is where it starts getting a little bit more in depth. Um, this is really used to track all of the payables and receivables in your company, um, all the money that you're owed to suppliers, your employees, any vendors, um, all the money coming in from jobs. Um, this will show all your assets, bank accounts, business assets as well. Um, the great thing about this document is, as I just talked about that review, most accounting professionals can look at this and within 10 to 15 minutes at least verify that you're pretty much on the right track with your business. The balance sheet is like the one thing that is a glaring red flag if something's off. Um, so people can kind of look at that pretty quickly. Um, and just as kind of a, a side note, for anybody that's set up as a partnership, um, doing $250,000 or more in revenue or an S or a C corporation, you have to have a, a, a balance sheet. Um, if you're smaller than that or if you're a sole proprietor, you do not have to um, unless you qualify for that. So I just always like to give some education because a lot of people don't understand um, how, that set, how that's set up. So uh, one thing that we recommend doing every year is go through and do an expense review of your business. Um, and you're gonna label everything on your profit and loss, get the detailed version of it, and you're gonna label it one of three things. The first thing, a profit generating activity. So this is a lot of times marketing expenses, things that are gonna generate business for you. Obviously your labor costs, your material costs is all a profit generating expense. You can kind of lump that together. Uh, but the two aspects I really wanna hit on as you go through this exercise is the, this one, which is an R, um, and you can highlight this in different colors, however you wanna do it, uh, is market is something that can be replaced with the cheaper alternative. Uh, now my caveat with that is don't make it a less quality service or product or whatever it might be, right? I'm not saying drop your you know, cell phone carrier because you can get some cell phone company for 20 bucks a month that you get no service anywhere ever. That doesn't do you a lot of good. Uh, but go through and look at that. And then the last one is the one that really makes a lot of sense uh, is what are the unnecessary expenses we have? Um, and anybody that feels like cash flow is tight, anybody that feels like your financials are tight, this is a great thing to go through and do because you're gonna start seeing as you look through line by line every expense you've had you know, over a monthly basis, six months, whatever period you're looking at this on, what are the things you're spending money on that really isn't adding any value to your company? Maybe it's subscriptions, maybe it's different you know, products, services, different things that you guys may uh, be participating in that you're just not using, right? Um, and so this is kind of a, a very founded, foundational, fundamental thing that we, we want all of our clients to go through. Um, and get an outsider's perspective. Um, again, there's a lot of companies here that are, are here to help contractors like we are. Um, we do free expense reviews and, and profit and loss reviews for people. Uh, so we're more than happy to take a look at it, send it to somebody else. Again, connect with somebody just to get somebody else's perspective on it, right? Because one thing that you might think is a profit generating um, expense might really be an unnecessary expense for you. So it's always good to get a third party's perspective. Um, I want to just quickly hit on taxes. I, nobody came here to hear about taxes, but I feel like this is necessary to at least say. Um, taxes are paid on the net income of your business. One thing we really recommend is for all business owners to set aside anywhere from, I say 10 to 20%, 5%, depending on how big you are, 5 to 20% of your revenue to pay your taxes each year. Um, that is like the number one stressor I hear with a lot of business owners is, it's springtime, right? Uh, right now, everybody's filing their taxes or filing extensions. Um, is anybody stressed out knowing about the taxes you may owe this year? Thanks for the three of you guys that were vulnerable to raise your hand. I know there's more. I know that nobody just wanted to raise their hand there. So, um, But this is a way that you can be very proactive. We're all about being proactive in your finances. And so if you can set aside you know, 5 to 20% of the revenue into a separate account, do not touch it. 
um, and pay your estimated quarterly payments out of it, pay your end of the year tax bill out of that. Um, again, it's, it's gonna vary depending on different situations because it is flowing through on your personal taxes. Um, so get with a good tax strategist, a good accountant that will do some tax planning for you and help you with this. Uh, well, I do wanna talk, how many people in the room are set up as an S corporation? Good, so we got quite a few people in here. Um, so here's just my general rule. If, you, if your net income is sixty dollars to $70,000 a year, and this is kind of a blanket statement, so uh, this isn't advice, it's just education. Um, if it's sixty dollars to $70,000 or more a year, you should really talk to your accountant about filing as an S corporation. Um, once you get to $70,000 and beyond, that's really where it makes sense. Uh, because to file as an S corporation, you get a little bit, you incur a little bit more cost. You have to pay yourself as an employee through payroll. There's some extra expenses in there, but at that point, um, the math has shown that that kind of offsets the extra cost by the money you'll save in self-employment taxes. Again, I'm not going to go too far into that, but an average savings uh, could be about $7,000 on $100,000 in net income each year. So just for perspective, if, you're, if your net operating income is 70 grand or more, I highly suggest you look into the, the S corporation. Um, Marcus Limonis is one of my favorite people. If, any, if anybody's watched The Profit on CNBC, um, he says, if you don't know your numbers, you don't know your business. And this to me is the number one uh, kind of financial fundamental that I want to cover with you guys is, is understanding your numbers, knowing the revenue, knowing um, you know, your average profit, your yearly sales. If I asked you guys right now, how much money did you make on each of your last five jobs? Who in here could actually show me data, numbers somewhere right now on how to do that? Good. We've, okay, we've got a handful. I'm glad to hear that. Um, and so, you know, I, I want to go through that with you guys today um, and, and figure out you know, what's the best way to track these things? What are some common things to think about when you're your job costing, when you're analyzing your cash flow? Uh, and what are some common, you know, misconceptions and, and issues that people kind of have with stumbling blocks? Um, one thing that I think is important to know is, you know, what jobs bring in the most profit to your company? Whenever I had my painting business, the last two years, we did very little exterior work because I started looking at the numbers in 2017 and realized that our interior profit was like killer and our exterior was always where things got a little shaky. Like my guys just weren't as good at the exterior stuff. It caused me headaches with scheduling. I was trying to grow this business. I didn't want to deal with the headaches. And I was like, wow, we make really good money doing interior projects. Guess what? We're now an interior painting company for the next two years. Um, and so it's really good to have a good understanding if you do kitchen cabinets, if you do wallpaper removal, if you do power washing, all the different services you offer, it's really good to know what your profitability is on each of those services. Um, and then lastly, what source of marketing brings in the most business for you? Do you have a way to track those numbers? I know that's a marketing conversation that I'm not going to go any deeper on, but I think it's very important to understand and know, hey, what works for us? Hey, we're, we're pumping money into Facebook ads. Well, what's actually the return on that? Right? So knowing your numbers as a whole is, is a huge piece to this. So um, I want to jump into job costing here. Uh, in, in understanding why job costing is such a big deal. Uh, job costing to me, the, the number one reason why I love it is you get real-time data and feedback about your projects. You understand if you made you know, great money on it, hey, great, what, why did we do so well on this? Um, if you didn't do so well on it, you have that real-time data, right? It doesn't make sense to wait three months later to job cost. It makes sense to do it as soon as the project's done. A lot of times I knew if a project was finishing that day, like that morning, I was already online plugging like the numbers in that I thought it was going to finish up at just to know how we did on it, right? Um, but you get the real-time data to understand it. if jobs went over budget. I say over budget for those of you guys that estimate on an hourly basis. 
which I recommend for this kind of analyzation piece of it, is to know, okay, we had 80 hours that we estimated this project to take, and it actually took our guys 110 hours. Well, then you need to figure out where the disconnect was, right? Was it an estimating issue? Was it something that you just missed or you're not factoring in enough time with these estimates? Are your employees slow? Um, or was there just some issue you ran into that was out of your control, right? Um, we've all been in that situation. That is gonna happen from time to time. Uh, but it allows you to have that conversation with your crew lead, with your foreman, with your employees of like, hey, where was, where was the hiccup here? What was the issue? And if you start seeing a trend that you're 20 hours over budget every project, you're like, okay, well, something's gotta change, right? Efficiency's gotta change, estimating's gotta change. You, you have the information to make those, um, those adjustments as you go. Um, I think profit awareness is very key as you guys are growing your businesses too, right? Um, you know, clients call us all the time and they're like, hey, can we afford to hire an office assistant? And because we have all the numbers on how they're doing, we can actually give them a good answer on that, right? Um, if anybody here asked me that question today after this, um, I'd be like, I have no clue unless you can show me all the data on how you can grow your company. So, um, so I think that's a big thing, keeping a, a close eye on cash flow. And then I mentioned the actual versus estimated hours analyzation. Um, I almost didn't even put this slide in here because it's gonna vary for every single person in here. Uh, but I did at least wanna give you guys some ideas on what you should be targeting on your projects. Um, and again, you're gonna get different answers probably from different people, so figure out the advice that makes the most sense for you, right? If you're doing $4 million a year, you're doing 400,000 a year, these numbers are gonna vary a little bit. Uh, but I at least wanted to put it in there just for, so some of you guys have an idea on what you should be targeting. Um, your labor percentage should be about 40%. Um, this includes your employer share of taxes and everything paid. It's not just the raw wages, the raw hourly cost of the employees. Um, it's that plus the 7.65% or whatever it is where you live at um, that you pay as an employer on top of those wages. You should factor all of that in your labor cost and that should be about, if you're under 40%, you're very you're efficient. Um, if you're way over 40%, then again, I think there's a disconnect there with your estimating um, or your efficiencies. Uh, materials. 15%. Um, I think 15% is really like the high end it should be at. Again, this is going to vary on each project, right? If you're using Emerald from Sherwin, your material cost is probably going to be higher than if you're using Super Paint, Promar 200, other products like that. Um, so this is going to be a, a huge variance. I don't want you guys to get too caught up on it. If your material cost is 20%, then I think you need to figure something out, you know, kind of where the disconnect is on that. Um, you know, we always say, I say 10% for overhead. I really think for a lot of business owners, that number should be more 5 to 7%. Uh, but where the 10% comes into is when you go on trips like this, right? Those of you guys, the job cost, your March expenses, your overhead's going to be a lot more this month because you paid for your plane, your hotel. You know, thankfully, most of the food and drinks are covered here. Uh, but you're going to have more expenses this month. So I think 5 to 7% is really a good target for that. Um, the, the two factors that go into this, regardless of size, I had this conversation at our brain meld table this morning, um, is you know, how much you spend on marketing and then how many layers of management you have in your company that's, you know, you're paying for without really seeing a direct return on your you know, investment as, as you would with painters. So um, those are the two biggest things that kind of go into that. Uh, tax savings, again, you should, you should consider that in your job costing, in my opinion. Uh, a lot of people don't factor that into it. I think you should. Uh, and again, you're going to get different answers on how people look at things, um, which leaves me with a you know, profit 25%, again, depending on how you look at a lot of this. Uh, one thing I want to hit on is, is how do you look at insurance? So uh, for everybody in this room, insurance is based on how, many, you know, how much labor is paid out on projects. 
for job costing purposes, I use your insurance as a monthly expense because I think it gets too messy in the numbers and tracking everything. So as long as you have an understanding that your insurance is technically a variable cost of your business, but you should kind of treat it like a fixed cost just for simplicity's sake and understand that at the end of the year, you may have to pay a couple thousand dollars more. Um, or if you feel like you, know, you are paying more out throughout the year than what you had estimated when you got your policy renewal, you can call them and have them up your monthly payment. So there shouldn't always, again, be a surprise at the end of the year on that. So again, th this is why I like to go through and do job costing. Uh, a lot of people, I'll be like, hey, you know, how, do you know how much money you're making on your jobs? Like, oh yeah, yeah, yeah. And I'm like, where's it at? And they're like, oh, it's up here. And I'm like, you're probably in for some deception, right? Deception's a rough thing to battle with when you're a business owner. So um, I wanna go through a couple common mistakes here real quick that we see with job costing. So the first one, um, is not accounting for the sales tax you pay on paint and materials. Um, I see that more than I would like to with people is when they're job costing, they're factoring in, hey, we use 10 gallons of you know, super paint. Uh, oh, I get super paint for 35, 15 a gallon or whatever the number is. Um, and they don't factor in the extra 8% or whatever the sales tax is where you live at. So that's, I think, one big thing that you should make sure you're including, especially when you're estimating too. I see that on the estimating side, people don't account for those uh, tax on paint and, and materials. Um, another thing, not tracking paint for job sites accurately. I know during the last two years, people have been doing a lot of bulk orders because I know paint is a little hard to find. We don't have to go down that road, but um, you know, so a lot of people have been buying you know 50 to 100 gallons at a time, and then it makes it difficult for them to job cost it because they're not tracking what how many gallons are going to job sites, right? They've already bought it, so there's no PO to, to pull from Sherwin Williams or your supplier. Um, so you need to have a good, accurate way of tracking that, even if it's just making a spreadsheet, printing it out, and sticking it on the side of the skid with the 100 gallons on it, and just saying, hey, seven jobs or seven gallons went to this job, eight gallons went to this one, however you need to do that. Uh, not accounting for supplies, rollers, and materials. A lot of times people will just do their material cost only on the paint. They don't think about the rollers they went through, the tape, if you mask everything off, all the extra materials and supplies that go into that. Um, again, I'll say the same thing on the bulk purchases, right? You know, there's blue bucket sales, different suppliers have big sales. You can buy things in bulk, which is great because it saves you money. But again, you never account for those things. So just have some way of tracking that. Um, another thing, again, not factoring in the employer taxes you pay on top of the labor um, cost. So if you pay your guys $1,500 is like their gross wages, that number is really going to be more like $1,650 or whatever that is with unemployment, taxes, all those things you guys pay as um, employers if you have W-2 employees. Uh, another thing, uh, paying employees for lunch. Does anybody pay your employees for lunch? That's awesome. That is a great thing um, if you can financially afford it, right? Um, it's a pretty common expectation that you get an unpaid 30-minute lunch break. Um, if you want to pay your employees, that's amazing. Just make sure that the financials support that decision because I think it's a great thing for the culture side of your company, but sometimes that becomes at a cost, especially if you pay them and they're taking 40, 45-minute lunches. Um, there was a client that figured out that last year they paid $11,000 in lunches to their employees. Um, they realized that after the fact, and they're like, okay, this is going to have to change this year. So. Um, another thing is accounting for insurance, you know, figuring out how you can work that into the monthly expenses, and we'll talk about that in a second. So um, here's just kind of a sample job costing we put together. I had to make up names, and I put three of my favorite shows on there. I thought I'd be have some fun with it. So anybody that's listened to our podcast knows I'm a Ted Lasso fan. So, um, But would anybody be happy with this? If this was your job costing for the month, 
and you guys did $52,000 worth of work, and your gross profit was $20,000, would anybody be like thrilled with those numbers? Nobody? Yeah, 37%? Like, come on, okay, all right, thank you. Come on, let's, let's rally the troops a little bit, guys. Um, so on that note then, let's talk about the cash flow side of it, because I just set all you guys up for failure pretty hard here. So um, I'll come to that in a second. So cash flow is the biggest thing that deceives business owners. I talked about that. The, the deception can be a terrible thing. Um, a lot of people will look at their job costing, they'll see the profitability, and they're like, yes, this is great, we're doing great, things are moving, right? We just made $20,000 this past month. Um, unfortunately, sometimes what will happen is when you factor in a few other key numbers, um, you maybe didn't make any money. Maybe you went backwards. Maybe you did great and, and actually had a good month. Um, and so, you know, let's say for sake of argument, um, this, this person, again, it's all made up, but say for sake of argument, maybe they've got um, a big family to support, um, they're the only income provider for their family, so they have to take a good amount of money out of their company, which is fine. That's a great personal decision. Um, but when you factor that into everything, you factor in you know, monthly expenses, um, they are closer to that 10% uh, or way over the 10% mark. Um, and I'll get to the monthly expenses where I come up with these numbers in a second. Uh, but you might realize that your monthly cash flow is $98. So you think you're doing great. You're like, man, we did $52,000. We profited $20,000 on it, you know, gross profit. But then when you factor in all the other costs of running your business and paying yourself and everything else, this is the number one area that we see most business owners when they come to us with very tight financials, they're struggling to get ahead. This is usually the, the area where we find it is either they're overpaying themselves based on where their company's at right now, um, which I never want to tell people like, hey, you need to pay yourself less. That's not fun. But sometimes you either need to figure out how to grow your company so you can keep paying yourself the right amount, you need to increase your profitability, um, or you need to decrease some of your monthly expenses. Um, again, monthly expenses is where I account for anything that's not in the, the material and the labor costs. So that's where I factor in the insurance for you guys. That's where I factor in coming to a conference like this. Um, any, literally any cent that goes out that's not tied to a job and the job costing should go in this monthly expense category. Um, and that's where I start to see a lot of those light bulb moments for people is that, you know, they start job costing everything, but they don't stop and realize that they're spending $10,000 a month to run their company, right? They're paying for marketing leads. They're doing, you know, they're outsourcing all of their services. They have an office person. Um, that should go in the monthly expense category, right? Because you're not tagging that office person to one of your projects necessarily. Um, and so I see that happen a lot, that there's a lot of a disconnect there, and it's usually for things like this. Um, on a little bit of a smaller scale, this one might be a little bit more realistic without having such a huge owner's draw. Um, this is, again, kind of that reality we see a lot. You know, maybe a $30,000 a month, um, again, a great 37% profit. Um, you know, smaller expenses, because it's a smaller company. Um, you know, owner salary and distribution isn't outrageous, uh, but the monthly cash flow is negative. So they actually went backwards that month. Uh, and so, you know, what are some ways that we can kind of, you know, alleviate this? Um, the first one, again, I've already mentioned overpaying yourself. Uh, I don't ever, again, want to say cut your salary, but sometimes you have to be a little bit realistic, right? If your business is very small and you're starving it for money, um, that is something you're going to have to figure out. Good. What do you include in distributions? Um, so distributions is basically the money you take out of the company is like a profit, profit taking, profit share. Um, on top, yeah. So people that are set up as an S Corp have to pay themselves a salary each month and then you can take distributions out of the company on top of that. So for smaller businesses, if you're not an S corporation, you're not on payroll or anything, then all of that's gonna be is just all in the distribution category. So um, again, you're not factoring in the monthly operating cost. 
you know, long revenue collection cycles. You know, I think this is one thing we see with a lot of clients. Again, I, and I'm talking more in the residential space when I say this, is they'll finish a job and then like two and a half weeks later, they still haven't gotten paid for it. And, and I'm like, well, we're, you finished the project, you should have the check, right? Or within like 72 hours. And a lot of times what we see in this is it's a process issue in wrapping up the job, right? Um, you know, we see some people that are, you know, they get done and they're just like, all right, cool, we'll send you an invoice. And like they leave and there's no like walkthrough, there's no process, or maybe they do a walkthrough, but the payment thing is never brought up. The expectation is never set. Hey, we collect X amount down up front, and then we collect the other 80% or whatever the number is upon completion. Um, that expectation's not set. Maybe the invoice isn't sent, you know, the day before it's finished, right? Maybe if, if it's a five-day project on Thursday night, you should remind the customer, hey, we're going to finish up tomorrow. Um, are you home to do a walkthrough, and are you able to pay us tomorrow, right? Um, and have that conversation. And so I think, you know, if you have very long collection cycles on a residential thing, I think you need to figure out where you can reiterate your process a little bit more to set the right expectation to ensure that, hey, job's done, we get paid, right? Because guess what? Payroll comes every two weeks no matter what. Sherwin wants their pay, their, their, your account paid off every month no matter what. Um, so you need to make sure that you have a good process and, and flow with your customers to where you're getting paid right away. Um, another thing, not paying off credit cards. Um, I'm a big advocate of using credit cards if you have the discipline. And I'll talk more about that in a second. But if, if you have a big balance on your credit card, you're going to start paying interest on it, which is just going to kill your cash flow. Um, so that would be a, a strong suggestion I would make to anybody here that has a running balance on your credit card. Figure out how you can try to pay that off. Even if it might take you six or eight months, you just say, hey, I'm going to have to pay $300 a month on it and consider it like a fixed cost to my business for the next eight months. Um, you know, and try not to put more on it and stuff. Again, I know it's hard, and a lot of these things we're going through today, it may take time. Uh, but when you've got a big balance running on your card, you're paying interest on it, that really kills the cash flow of your business. Um, another thing, robbing Peter to pay Paul. Um, a lot of times it's like you're taking money from one area just to pay payroll, and like it's just this revolving cycle, right? Um, again, sometimes you have to do what you have to do, but uh, yeah, I, uh, sometimes you have to do what you have to do, but I, I think that's one thing is, you know, if you're taking money out of um, the deposit account, to, to cover payroll because you're waiting on a check that's coming in the next Monday. As soon as that check comes in, that money needs to go back. A lot of times people will take the money out of there to cover payroll and then it just goes into the working capital of the business um, without you know, kind of reallocating it. Um, large bulk purchases, you know, we've had clients call us here in the last you know, six months to a year and like, hey, we've got an opportunity to buy 100 gallons of paint at Sherwin and we're getting a good deal on it. Can we actually afford it though? Right? Because again, you have to figure out how to pay Sherwin, um, unless you can figure out a financing plan with them, or again, whoever your supplier is. Um, we always use Sherwin, so that's my go-to example. But figure out, like, hey, are we able to pay on this over the next six months? Or is it something we have to pay them next month for, and we have to figure out how to come up with $7,000 to cover this 100-gallon of paint order? So um, not having a spending plan. This is a big thing that we really see with a lot of people. Uh, and I'm just going to say this right now. I don't use the word budget. Because every time I say the word budget, I see half the audience like cringe a little bit, right? There's something about us that budget is like a negative word. And so we always call it a spending plan. Uh, and this is something that I recommend every business owner to have. Uh, and a lot of people are really good at putting together a budget or a spending plan. Um, I watched half you guys cringe, by the way. Um, they're really good about putting together a spending plan on an annual basis, right? But again, if you notice kind of a common theme with us is we really like to break things down on a month-by-month -month basis for people. 
And so it's great to have a, a spending plan for the year, but then every month, every month before the new month starts, you should go through and, and reallocate what the plan is for that upcoming month, right? Because the plan you make in December 28th for 2022, by the time you get to October, like your company's probably shifted in 10 different ways, right? Advertising's went up, maybe you've hired two more employees, maybe you guys are doing a lot more in revenue, maybe you're doing a lot less in revenue, right? And so an annual spending plan is kind of good to get a framework for it, uh, but I really recommend revisiting that every month and going through, and again, factoring in, okay, hey, I'm going to PCA Expo, you know, this upcoming month, we're gonna have a little extra cost here. Ooh, hey, our jobber subscription's coming up, and that's gonna be 1,500 bucks or whatever the number is, because we pay for it annually. We need to factor that into our spending plan that month. Um, and then figuring out if you have to increase some expenses, where are you gonna decrease some expenses at, right? Um, and make sure that, or you say, okay, well, instead of doing 55,000 this month, we're actually gonna have to do 60,000 or 65,000. Uh, so again, it, it, the, the common theme I want you guys to get out of this today is, it's really good to be proactive in your finances. And I know that's very hard as, as business owners, as painting contractors, it, like you're, you're always focused about selling more work and producing the work, right? Um, and it's hard to be intentional to take time to go through and plan out this stuff for your business. But if you're wanting to shift into that business owner mentality, you have to make this a priority. Um, and again, our goal is to try to simplify everything for our clients, for anybody we work with, down to a T to where you can spend as little time as possible doing these things and get the most results out of it, right? Um, because I know that no painting contractor wants to sit down for five hours and manage their finances every week, right? Like that's not why you guys are here doing this. You're doing it because you have a passion for your craft and what you do, but this is still a necessary evil. So we try to really simplify things for you guys when it comes down to it. Um, a couple of cash flow hacks that I want to share with you guys. Um, so how many people in here take deposits from customers? Good, good. There's a couple people we've talked to and they don't do it. And it, I, I don't care whether you do it for like the liability sake, right? Most people say, well, I don't do it because we've never had any customers not pay us. And I'm like, hey, that's fine. I understand that. But you should do it from a cash flow perspective, right? Because what I recommend you do, um, whatever the percentage is, let's just say it's 20%. You take that deposit payment from them and you put that aside in a, a separate account, right? It's attached to your business checking account, but you put that aside in an account to where in theory, you don't move that payment over to your main checking account for your business until you at least buy materials, the job starts or the job's finished, then that becomes part of the money earned. And the reason behind this is a lot of times people take deposits and they put it in the working capital of the business. And all of a sudden you might realize we've blown through $40,000 of deposits for jobs we're not getting to for two or three months, right? Um, from a perspective of what if everybody canceled, that's terrifying. Like you have a $40,000 liability basically in your company. Now what are the odds of that happening? Probably not great, but you wanna be able to refund that should something happen. Um, and the other issue with that is if say you collect a 20% payment, basically then if you've already spent that money three to four months ago, you're really only collecting 80% of every job you do. So then it's hard to get ahead financially and with your cash flow. Uh, and so that's why we really recommend, again, this is something that's gonna take time. You know, this, if, you're, if you're in that situation where you're like, man, we've spent all of our deposits for all of our upcoming jobs, uh, that's, it's okay. Start to slowly shift, right? You know, if you've got a little extra money, start putting those deposits aside. Um, we had a, a client that literally when we sat down and started working with them, they had spent $40,000 of deposits and that was the only reason. They were just kind of running by the seat of their pants and they were making it work, but eventually the house was gonna crumble, right? Um, and it took us about six to eight months to finally get all of, all of the, the deposits in a separate account. 
Um, the other reason I like doing this, I mentioned the cash flow piece of it earlier, right? Because there's gonna be a time, let's say you guys are here at Expo this week, and you guys, you got payroll coming up on Friday, I'm sure ads would say half the room probably does, and you have to make payroll Friday, right? Your guys are on a project, maybe it's raining where you're from, St. Louis, it's been sleeting and icing, but it's also 75 degrees today. I have no idea what's gonna happen when we get back, but um, you might get delayed on a project, right? And you're not gonna get that check now until Monday. And you're like, well, we have to pay our guys Friday. You know, we have a credit card bill that has to get paid this weekend. Um, and so if you have money set aside in an account, you can pull that money out, take care of your payroll and your bills, you know, track it appropriately. And then when you get that check on Monday, put that money back over into it, right? It's just literally kind of transferring money over and then putting it back. It gives you kind of a cushion in there to where when things like that come up, right? Because it's natural. It's, we're in a contracting business. Things are gonna happen with that. Yeah? How many bank accounts would you recommend a company to have? I would recommend having the main checking account and then at least two more. One for the taxes, one for the deposits. Okay. And if you get in the habit of doing the tax thing, between that and the deposits, you should always have a good cushion for when these things come up and you have to make payroll and figure out how to make it work, right? Um, again, the goal is to always have the discipline to put the money back. Um, there's a great book out there called Profit First by Mike Mikhailowitz. Um, some of you guys are, are nodding your heads and, and stuff. It's a great book. It goes to the nth degree, I think he says, have like five or six different accounts. I'm just gonna say start basic. Have a deposit account, a tax account. If you wanna go as far to have a, a profit for you as an owner, go read the book and, and understand that. You can do that too. Um, no, not necessarily. You can put all that together. Okay. That, that, that can all be in the main checking of the business. So, um, The other thing I want to hit on is credit cards. Uh, I mentioned this a little bit ago. Credit cards can be a negative thing. If you do not have good discipline, if you do not have good habits of paying them off, credit cards can be a killer for your business. On the flip side of that, if you're not using credit cards, you're kind of shooting yourself in the foot. All right. For one big reason is the reward side of it. Um, and again, if you don't think you're gonna have the discipline to pay it off every month, that, then don't go down that path. It's not that big of a deal. But this is one area that I see a lot of people are leaving money on the table. So here's a, a fun fact for you guys. Um, anybody that uses Sherwin-Williams, you may or may not know that you can pay off your balance every month with a credit card, okay? So let's say you spend $100,000 a year on paint and you can get a credit card that gets 2% cash back on everything, right? literally 2,000 free dollars you're just leaving on the table. Um, even if you've got the money in your bank account, and it's say it's a $10,000 a month bill, you've got $10,000 in your bank account, you could pay it with, instead you put it on your credit card, and then two days later you pay your credit card off, right? It's literally free money. Um, again, I don't want you guys to get it just to like stretch out cash flow and be like, oh, well, now I've got an extra 30 days to pay Sherwin, right? That becomes a very slippery slope. So don't go down that path if you can't you know, be disciplined and back it up properly. Um, the next thing I want to hit on here when it comes to cash flow is what we call the accurate bank balance. Um, and every Friday you should know what is in your bank account. Um, the actual number, again, this is where deception comes in, right? Because you might log into your bank app right now and be like, oh man, we're good. We got $20,000 in there. We're looking great, right? But you forget that you owe Sherwin-Williams 10 grand. You forget that you've got payroll coming up on Friday, which is going to be 10 grand. And then the withholding and tax payments the week after that might be another two grand. Oh, and your insurance is due next week too, right? And you're like, ooh, so we don't really have $20,000 in there because we have all this stuff coming up. Um, and so this is something that we really recommend going through and doing. There's kind of three pieces to it. Again, I'll, I'll, you guys can get access to this worksheet too. Um, you've got your payables and receivables here that you can go through. 
Uh, receivables, again, is gonna be all the projects that you're completed that you're waiting on a check from. Um, so you can go through and do that. Um, we recommend putting in all your recurring monthly expenses here. So what are your fixed costs that recur every month, all your subscriptions, um, any services of, of stuff that you, you have with people, uh, and go through and you know, put that on there to where you can see what's coming. You know, It's nice to see, okay, well, it's the 2nd of March, and the next week we've got these three expenses coming up, right? If it's 20 or $40 or something small, it's probably not gonna wreck you, but if it's a $800 a month office rent payment, if it's a $2,400 a month insurance payment, you need to make sure you're planning ahead for these things. Uh, and then down here, this is what I just kind of used to uh, um, collect all the information on all the deposits that are collected in that deposit account. I always say, we, I want to look at your finances from a scarcity mindset, but have a mind like abundance mentality, right? So I tell my wife that all the time and she doesn't like it. So what I want to end on, we got about 15 minutes here, and this is kind of like the big pinnacle I want to wrap up this, this talk on. Um, and I can't wait to actually have two hours for a workshop to do this because I think we'll have enough time uh, to effectively go through and do the workshop piece of it. Uh, so thanks for bearing with us through that. Uh, but what I want to end on here is understanding given all of your costs, given what you ideally want to pay yourself, like what is the, the revenue number you need to be doing in your business every month to satisfy all of those needs and wants, right? Uh, and so I want to go through and kind of set this up with a couple things real quick. One question I always get from a lot of people is, how should I set up paying myself, right? It's very common to like, you know, money comes in, okay, I'm going to just transfer $500 over to my personal account. And like, there's not really a systematic approach. Uh, those of you guys that know me, um, I'm a systems and a numbers like process guy, right? Like I like things being systematic and simple and easy to where you don't have to think about it. Um, and so what I always recommend is set up a system where every two weeks you pay yourself a certain amount of money. Again, I want you guys to determine this. And maybe what I would recommend is go through and figure out what the ideal number is right now and then figure out like what the bare minimum, like I have to pay myself this. Because if your company's not where you ideally want to be, that's obviously why you guys are here, right? Um, and so I, I want to go through and just kind of think about that. So write that down, um, you know, just right there in front of you, like what you ideally want to pay yourself um, every two weeks and just what would the systematic goal be for your, to, to comfortably live for you and your family. Uh, again, I don't say like live, you know, super scarce with it. Like what would be the ideal goal where you're still saving for retirement, you can do stuff with your family, you can take trips and do all those things. Um, one note on that, and, and I'm not going to go down the whole personal debt thing, but like, if you have a lot of personal debt, that is going to put a very big strain on your business finances. Um, last expo, we did a talk that was mostly focused on that concept, um, that if you have a lot of debt yourself, you're going to have to take more money out of your business to pay for those things. Uh, and I'm not saying that all debt is bad or anything like that, uh, but I know that that can be a very crippling thing, right? So I think it's very, it's very true that the way your personal finances are affect your business finances, right? your personal financial habits are gonna carry over into your business financial habits. Uh, and honestly, some of the stuff that we're talking through here can be applied in your personal finances, right? With having different accounts for things um, and kind of setting up some systems and, and stuff uh, and whatnot. I showed my wife one time, I said, you know, if something ever happens to me, like you should probably know how I handle all this, right? And like two minutes into it and like three spreadsheets later, she was like, I'll figure it out. Like, I don't know what the heck you're doing, but I know it's working for us, right? We paid off her student loans. She, she's a physician assistant. We paid it off in five and a half years um, and whatnot. So like, she's like, well, whatever you're doing is working, just keep doing it. I'll just have to figure it out if you're not here. So, um, <clears throat> so go through and, and figure out what that number is. Um, I'm not gonna go through and workshop this, uh, but I think it's very important to know what that fixed monthly cost of your business is 
and then add in some extra variable costs on top of it, right? So um, again, when you kind of start to get in, uh, when you go through in job costs, you add in your monthly expenses, you'll start seeing trends that like, hey, on average, every month we spend about $7,000 of fixed cost, meals, you know, all the little extra things that it takes to run a business. Um, but for right now, go through, and, and this can be kind of part of your spending plan is to go through and come up with your fixed cost, what it is every month, um, and then kind of what the extra things are on top of that, your marketing budget, your, your food and entertainment budget, all those things. Um, and so then, at this point, you guys have a pretty good idea um, on what your labor margins are. Again, if you don't know, look at your profit and loss, look at some historical data. You kind of have a good idea what your material uh, margins are from job costing. And so what I want to do is I want to kind of reverse engineer this with you guys and figure out what that top line number needs to be. Um, so the first thing I want you to do is add up what your owner's draw is each month, not every two weeks, each month, and what you estimate your totally monthly expenses of your company to be. So like, let's say for example, your goal is to take $6,000 a month out of the company and your average monthly expenses are around 4,000. So that number is gonna come out to $10,000. Now I'm gonna forewarn you guys. Step two is gonna look very complicated. It's not. So bear with me, there's an example on the next page. Um, but say the number comes out to $10,000. Um, you will divide that number by one minus your labor cost and your material cost. So I'm just gonna go straight to the example here. Um, so monthly expenses, $11,000. Your labor margin is say 42%. Your material margin is 13%. So you'll take $11,000 divided by 0.45. We got that from one minus this and that. Super confusing. Don't ask me how this works. I just know it works. Okay. I don't. This isn't an algebra class. I'm not going to explain how or why this works. Um, but this is the formula you have to use. So let's say, for example, again, you have eleven thousand dollars. You divide it by 0.45. Um, that's going to come out to twenty-four thousand four hundred forty-four dollars. If you do the math on that and break down all your costs that you you've got incurred and what you expect, that would be like the exact break-even. Your company net cash flow is zero that month, right? Now, let's be honest, I don't recommend cutting it that close. So as we go through and do this exercise with our clients, I would recommend for them to do probably $30,000 a month and figure out how to grow from there. Um, or the other option to that is reduce your monthly expenses, reduce your owner's salary, again, not ideal, um, or figure out how to shrink your margins down, right? If, if somebody looks at this and says, Chris, $30,000, it's just not feasible with where they're at. I said, okay, great, it's good that you know that, now we have to figure out how to make it feasible, right? Um, because with anything, you either add more money to the pot or you figure out how to take less money out of the pot, right? Um, and so you can kind of get a good idea. And so this is a good exercise to do. Again, um, you know, it's, it, it can be mind opening to a lot of people because you'll, you'll look at these numbers and be like, yeah, there's no way we could do that, right? We had one client we did this with and the way they were spending things and what their margins were, it was like they were gonna have to do, you know, $85,000 worth of work a month and they're like, we can't do more than 50. And I'm like, okay, well, we know that. <laughs> now we gotta figure out how to solve that issue, right? Um, and we were able to get them in a spot to where we reduced some expenses, we cut some costs, we did some things, we got them a little more efficient. And then they were finding that good happy medium there where they're like, okay, well, now we can do 60,000 a month and we're profitable at that point. So, um, so this is kind of a, a big thing to know. And, and this is where I say, we really try to simplify things for business owners. Because again, as long as your costs and stuff stay pretty equal and, and you're with your averages, if you can just focus on one thing leaving here and say, we have to go do $60,000 a month or whatever the number is for you, 
Everything else being consistent, you guys should be in a much better financial spot than when you came into this. Uh, because when you have those goals and you have those deadlines, you break it down each week and say, hey, okay, we got to do $60,000 a month. So that means we need to do 15,000 hour weeks, right? And then every week during that month, you're seeing like, are we on track for this? Or are we not, right? Um, and I think when you've got that goal and you've got that expectation, it's much easier to focus on that. And, and again, we try to dumb, you know, dumb it down to say, here's the one thing to go work on, right? Don't change your expenses. Don't, don't change, you know, obviously reduce your margins if you can. Uh, but if you can just keep them where they're at, just go focus on somehow figuring out how to get this much work done, I think that's a good spot to be at. Uh, the last thing I want to wrap up on, and we could do a whole other workshop on this, is how do you take that $60,000 number and break it down into more metrics that you can track on a weekly basis, right? So let's say $60,000 is the break-even, the ideal revenue goal for your company each month. Um, you can say, okay, well, our average job size is, say, $2,000. So that means we got to do 30 jobs in a given month. Okay, cool. <laughs> well, how many estimates does that mean that we need to do to pre-sell work for the next month, right? Maybe your closing rate is 50%. So now that 30 jobs goes back to 60 estimates that you need to do, right? You do 60 estimates, in theory, you should sell 30 jobs at your job average, you're gonna do 60,000 a month. And then you can break that down um, and see like how many employees do we need to produce this much amount, like this much work, right? Um, and so I, I, I'm just gonna throw Nick Slavic under the bus. So if you don't like this answer, it's on Nick. Um, I did text him to make sure I was on the right track. Um, but we kind of said that an average employee should produce nine to $10,000 of work per month um, per employee. So in production scheme, nine to $10,000 is a pretty good kind of conservative average. Um, so just if you're curious about that, so that's where I say if, if you know, your number comes back at 60,000 and you only have three employees, there's a huge disconnect. Unless your employees are overly efficient, there's no way you're gonna get that much done. Um, and so I hope all of this helps. I know I just really threw a lot of information at you guys. I'm gonna be around here all week. If you guys have questions, um, I know we're gonna to have to kind of get out of this room as we wrap up because they're coming in and cleaning in between sessions and stuff. Um, grab me, we're gonna be at the trade show tomorrow. We've got a booth at the trade show. If you guys wanna talk through things, if you have more questions, again, we're here as a resource to help you guys. Um, and so anybody that wants to receive our Google Sheets, if you scan this QR code, it'll take you to a landing page on our website. You can put in your name, email address, um, and then in the next 24, and you can select which sheets you want. In the next like day or two, or maybe three if there's a ton, um, I'll go through and manually send those out to you guys. So just put in whatever email address you want the Google Sheets sent to. We use Google Sheets, Google Docs for everything. Um, so put that in. I'm more than happy to share that with you guys. Um, and then the last thing we, that we want to wrap up with here um, is uh, doing this the session survey. So uh, PCA is requesting that every every speaker, every session, you guys go on and fill out a survey about how we did. I want you guys to be truthful. Like, obviously, make us sound great. It's great. But, like, I wanted no feedback, right? Because I know I crammed a lot of information into you guys. So I would love to get some good feedback on, like, you know, how we can continue to make these presentations better for Expo each year, for the Business 360 workshops that we're putting on, and everything else. Paynet podcasts are produced by the Painting Contractors Association and are made possible by members and industry partners. To find out more about upcoming education opportunities or for more information about joining PCA, visit PCAPainted.org.